as I talked with Bob, uh, I am not going to continue um, the study in Ephesians today. <clears throat> uh, I'll let Dave uh, do that, but I'll just do a standalone lesson in Hebrews chapter 7. So if you either use the printed sheet, which is New International Version, or you use your own Bible, that's, that's just fine. But it is um, Hebrews chapter 7, and it's going to be Christ our High Priest. And uh, someone give me an idea. What's the difference in ministry between a, uh, uh, a prophet and a priest? What are the two, what's the difference between those two in the ministry that they uh, conduct for the Lord and for us? A prophet and a priest, what's the, what's the difference between them? Prophet communicates from God to man. That's right. And priest is from man to God. That's exactly right. Uh, a priest is representing people. You know, when the priest took the blood onto the mercy seat, uh, at the Day of Atonement, <clears throat> he was representing not only his own sins, but the sins of the people. Uh, he was representing them before the Lord. Um, the, the high priest had some jewels on his garment. Uh, where, where did he have those jewels on his garment for the high priest? There was a chest plate thing with the 12 stones. That's one of them. He also had the stones in other places. On his shoulders, that's right. That's exactly right. It's almost like he bore the people, all the tribes, 100% of the people, administratively, but, but they were on his heart too, weren't they? they? They were on his heart. I think that is kind of a picture of what God intends. How thrilling it is that the Lord wants to use us as priests. It says he's called us as priests uh, to carry people, to carry a burden for people. Uh, Beverly and I, some of the people we work with are Chinese pilots. I told Bob a little bit about that, but uh, um, so it's our privilege to pray for them, to call them, to contact them, and uh, recently one of the pilots uh, went back to China, Ben, and uh, <clears throat> we were all ready to pray for these pilots being sent back to China, and he grabs the microphone and he says, no, I'll pray for you. He had evidently come, for, come to faith, and so it was just a joy, you know, we were with probably... 50 pilots last night, Chinese pilots, so that was a joke. <laughs> but uh, whether you use your Bible or this one, uh, take a look at Hebrews 7. And uh, we, we want to pull some things out of this. And I'll, I'll just let you scan this as you go. But I'll, I'll read the first section and we'll get started on that. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He has mentioned Melchizedek already in his, um, in his letter. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Um, someone I know gave a response to this portion of Hebrews what in the world are we studying about this old Melchizedek? I don't want to study it. You know? but, but the thing that you have to remember is it's pointing you to Christ, and it's pointing you to who he is and his priestly ministry. So that's what's going on with Melchizedek in this chapter. So don't, don't get discouraged uh, by the facts about Melchizedek because there's uh, 
points about Christ as your high priest that uh, they're, they're bringing out. What's going on in the book of Hebrews? Uh, what, um, what is sort of the message of Hebrews and what is its point for believers or supposed believers here in Judea? Someone want to give us a snapshot? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, somebody... <clears throat> We're piggybacking off an old Ford automobile commercial. <laughs> Their slogan was, Ford has a better idea. Okay. And Jesus Christ is the better way. Yeah, yeah. And he's the better prophet, he's the better priest, he's the better king. Okay. He's better than the angels. You know, all that, as you check right okay. on through, he is the one who is superior all the way through the book. He's superior over the angels. Over yes, the people. yes. And Absolutely. God has put him in position where he will one day be superior over the whole world. Now, the, the people that he's writing to, the, the Jewish people he's writing to, is this a, a welcome message for them? Or, um, or is this a message they're struggling with? What's going on there? What, what about the hearers that are receiving this? Yeah, they're, probably, they're probably struggling because yeah. it's hard yeah. to give up the traditional, yeah. all the ceremonial law, the ceremonial yeah. uh, sacrificial system. Uh, to say that, no, Jesus has fulfilled that. Yeah. Uh, it's probably a tough message for him. It is a tough message. And uh, <clears throat> my own view is, I think some of them don't even know the Lord. Maybe they've made a profession. But some of them have backslidden, if I would use an old, old word. I remember when I was in college, I ran away from the Lord and ran with the party crowd, and you couldn't even tell that I was a believer. Uh, I ran, and then finally through Campus Crusade for Christ, I came back. But uh, he, he's writing to people that need <clears throat> to revive, to renew, to refresh their relationship with the Lord. Uh, in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, it kind of brings us back to the context of, of where he starts in this discussion of Christ as high priest. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. <clears throat> um, he has begun to talk about Christ as high priest uh, look back in 5.1, back a couple more verses. For every high priest chosen by men is appointed to act on behalf of men, as we said, the ministry of a priest, in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Remember we said the prophet speaks God's word to men. The priest represents uh, men to God. Down in verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him, uh, appointed by the Father. But... <clears throat> he's going into this discussion of Christ as high priest, but he runs, runs into an obstacle uh, down in verse 11. About this, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Re remember him telling him you ought to be teachers by this time. You're, you're babies. You need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So this is the problem that the author of Hebrews is speaking to. Those that are uh, struggling to keep their faith fresh and, and struggling to renew their faith. But he, he stops in his discussion of Christ as high priest and then he picks it up again in chapter 7. That's where we are in chapter 7. Chapter 7, he introduces Melchizedek and makes fabulous points about Christ as our high priest and that's uh, kind of where we start Mentioning Melchizedek, and we're back in Hebrews 7. 
mentioning uh, Melchizedek, uh, let me read the historical account just to lay the basis for where what we're trying to introduce about Melchizedek. Genesis 14, 17 to 20. After Abraham returned from defeating Chedorlaomer, and the kings allied with him, the kings of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, we're just reading a couple of verses here. But tell me, what's going on? What has happened? What did Abraham come back from? Why is uh, Melchizedek saying these things? Uh, what is the historical incident that uh, he's referring to? Melchizedek is referring to. You go ahead. The kings of the east had come to uh, take captive all the kings in the uh, valley of Jordan, and Lot it was taken with them mm -hmm. when Abraham heard about it. He armed the 318 of his servants, mm -hmm. and he mm -hmm. went on a, on a campaign to get them back, and he just slaughtered them and scattered them and brought everything back. Yes. And then he refused to take anything from the uh, king of Sodom. He said, I don't want you to say he made Abraham rich. Yes. And so then he comes to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blesses him. And we don't... I don't have a number for how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands Chador Leomer had with him in capturing these kings of the Jordan Valley. I, I don't know the number. But it would seem to me that it required great courage on Abraham's part to, to arm his men. But Abraham was a man of faith, and he trusted God. And he demonstrated courage uh, on this occasion to go after these. It's kind of like... Uh, Gideon and the battle. You remember the battle where he just had very few, you know, had yeah. few lights and trumpets and things like that. And God won a great victory. And boy, I think the days of Jehoshaphat, you know, the, there was just a sea of enemies surrounding. And uh, Jehoshaphat's uh, military strategy was to wasn't to send out the saints <laughs> ahead, and God won a victory because they uh, they trusted in the Lord. Well, it, it brings up for me the subject of uh, courage. Um, is, is courage ever needed in daily life? Uh, I see Abraham stepping out in courage. Um, I, I think all of us are given certain situations in life in which we need to step out in courage and trust God and take the next obedient step. A case in point is Moses. When God called Moses to go back to Egypt, um, what motivation did he have to go back to Egypt? Not a lot. <laughs> what was the motivation to go back to uh, the Egyptians? Not. No. <laughs> he was a murderer. He had left the Egyptian in the sands. He murdered, so he could be tried for murder. Okay, so there's not much motivation to go back to the Egyptians, uh, even though he'd been raised in Pharaoh's house. How about uh, motivation to go back to um, uh, his own people? Big motivation? He no. Could, he could become a slave too. Yeah, yeah that's right. You, you know, the, the people I would imagine could say, "Who, you little rich boy? You know, raised in Pharaoh's house. What are you doing coming back to us? 
We're slaves. We're suffering. They're, they're oppressing us. Uh, who do you think you are coming back, particularly coming back and telling us things and telling us what we should do and saying you have a message from God? He had no motivation to go back either to the Egyptians or to his own people. Um, and, and how did he respond to the Lord's call to go back? Uh, big, joyful, eager response? You got the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a wonderful response. I mean, he, after the theological discussion, he's willing to discuss theology with the Lord around the burning bush. But when it comes, push comes to shove, he says, in 10,000 languages, I'm not going. I, I, I'm not going. Why? Because he was locked up with fear. He was locked up with fear. Now, let me suggest that this is uh, something that for many of us is a big battle. Fear. Yeah. Fear. And, and what can happen is fear can just lock you up where all reason departs and you just get locked up by fear. I want to suggest that uh, courage is the way to go in that type of situation. What I mean by courage is, I would say it's the next obedient step. I, I think facing what he was facing, Moses needed to say, Lord, uh, your call has scared me out of my mind. It freaks me out. All my senses are, are just reeling with what you've given me to do, but Lord, look down. Do you, look, Lord. That's my tennis shoes. I've got them tied on. And I'm taking the first obedient step to do what you've asked me to do. I think that's the solution of courage when we're faced with fear and we're faced with a difficult situation. It's take the next obedient step. And I think that's what Moses needed to do. Well, the idea of courage. Um, <clears throat> now, two offices that it says Melchizedek held... Um, what were those two offices that he uh, he held? King and priest. That's right. Uh, king, that's exactly right. King of righteousness, then uh, king of Salem, and king of peace. So it lists these things that are true of him. Uh, and what is Salem? Yes. It's the uh, city that we know as Jerusalem, and it is his, um, it, it's a symbol, I mean, the name means peace, mm -hmm. which for a city that's been sacked and burned as many times as it has, kind of a, mm -hmm. just ironic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he is he's a king who provides both righteousness and peace. Mm -hmm. I just got done reading a book by Louis Zamperini. Mm -hmm. And when he encountered Christ, his nightmares went away, mm -hmm. he got peace. He, you know, at that point, he knew that he was a different man than he had been about 15 minutes before. And so... It's an amazing story. Jesus gave him peace. Mm -hmm. And Jesus gave him righteousness. Mm -hmm. And his life was... Well, it took a 180 from that point. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Um, the city of Jerusalem, uh, we just recently visited Israel. That was back in May. And uh, I kept getting further and further away from the hotel toward the walls, the city walls of Jerusalem. 
And when I finally got the curve, I mean, there courage again, got, got up to the walls, it said, oh, by the way, there's these different levels. Here's the level of, you know, David. Here's the level of this. And there was a level of the Canaanite walls there at Jerusalem. I was surprised that there was still, still a foundation of the Canaanite walls, but that's what it said. That's the signs there at the walls that I went to. This is city walls, not the Temple Mount. But this is the city wall, so it was it was interesting. Those two offices, and then it says that Melchizedek is without genealogy. Uh, he's without mother, father, genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Um, what's going on here? Is he kind of an unusual human being that wasn't born or will never die? Or what do you think is going on here? Well, there's no record. That's it. <laughs> That's it. There, there, there's no record of it. And then I think uh, the other end of it is that his priesthood continues. Without end, his priesthood continues in Christ. Christ is the one that's the priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Good. Within that culture, the genealogy of your father is extremely mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. So this is... I'm not an expert in the culture in Israel, but yeah. it seemed like he'd be nobody mm -hmm. within the culture at that time. Mm -hmm. That's rather unique. Good, good. Uh, it gives some parallels um, in 7, 1 through 3. Um, and, and how does this point to the person of Christ? It says, uh, Melchizedek is king, priest, giver of blessing, and of course the Lord Jesus is the king of kings. He's the one supreme great king. Uh, he's our high priest. That's going to come out more and more in the chapter. And then that, that he's a giver of blessing. That's uh, a fascinating thing. What is, uh, what is blessing? What is the place of, uh, of blessing? Where do you find blessing in the scriptures and is it valid for us? Pardon? In God's presence. Good. Okay. Good. Good. The, the concept of blessing, even back in the beginning, the Lord said he looked at everything he created and said he blessed them. And he blessed us. Uh, what's, the, what's the place of uh, blessing? You know, you have to ask the question, does it confer anything real? Or is it just, uh, you know, some people look at religion as it's just sort of a little vidi vidi vici and be happy and be warmed and filled and does absolutely nothing. Or is there a real place for blessing? What, what about when the fathers bless their, bless their sons? Is there a place for the blessing? I, I think there is. I think there's a biblical and powerful place for the blessing. Remember, Christ blessed the little children. I think that real things were conferred. You, you could say it's kind of like a prayer, you know, kind of like the results of prayer. But uh, I've had the privilege for our grandchildren, I, I think for all of them, to pray a prayer of blessing at, at a particular time and place on our grandchildren. So uh, I think blessing is something biblical and, and something uh, given. Then it talks about the, in this chapter, starting in verse 4, the, um, what I've called the greatness of Melchizedek. And we may object to that term. <laughs> we want to focus on the greatness of Christ, not the greatness of Melchizedek. 
But I would call your attention to verse 4. See how great uh, this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. So, uh, even though we want to focus on Christ, notice that it, it uses that term with reference to Melchizedek, and the Lord is showing his place uh, in, in God's plan. So, uh, and then it shows in 7, 4 through 6, Abraham gave a tenth uh, through Melchizedek, not Levi. Um, why in the world would Abraham give a tenth? Why not keep it all for yourself? You know, he has a discussion with Melchizedek about the spoils of war, and uh, why not keep everything for yourself? Why do you think Abraham gave a tenth? Yeah, go ahead. He knows who Melchizedek is. He's the priest of the Most High God, mm -hmm. which is what Abraham, yeah, that's how he knows God by name. And so since this is God's priest, he's making an offering to God of a tenth of everything that he has gotten. And it is a recognition that, you know, I may have won a victory, but it wasn't because I was great. God made it happen. Mm -hmm. So he is giving, he's making an offering to God in the same way that you put money in the collection plate. That's exactly right. Uh, it, it wasn't given to Melchizedek. You know, maybe he's got a special environmental fund or something like that. It, it was given to God. That was the main thing. And that's, that's true for us as believers. That, that what we give, we give, we give to the Lord. It's not given to... Pastor Bob, it's given to the Lord. So this is a, a joy and a privilege. And um, what we give is so small, you know, compared with what we've received. But it's a joy to have that privilege of giving. Um, what about the tenth? I mean, is, you know, people will say, don't be too legalistic. Um, what about, what do you see in the tenth or the, the tithe? I see it as a biblical, kind of a biblical beginning point standard uh, for, for giving. And uh, what a joy it is. I know we're always thinking about, you know, fronts for giving for us. And one of the things I'm working on now is I'm trying to sell some things I had from the past so that can, I can give to, what do they call those projects? Who's on the missions committee? Um, microloans, microloans. Beverly went to India, had a trip to India. There were some ladies there in India. Their families were in a complete disaster. Sometimes she was the only one who knew the Lord. Sometimes she didn't know the Lord. And they would give her a microloan to buy a sewing machine. She began doing something productive. Um, and it turned her whole family around. And it just miracles came about through the microloan. There were other ladies that were given a, uh, a milk cow. Uh, and that <laughs> the milk turned the whole family, but, but you know, I'm kind of in the process of working with an organization for funding microloans. So it, there's just amazing things going on in our world. Um, so we talked about the tenth. Um, and then Melchizedek blessed uh, Abraham. And again, you have this concept of blessing. Um, that it is a biblical concept. You, you can bestow a blessing. Um, 
I think our prayer fits in fits in with that. Uh, I know I there there are things that I'm burdened for that I pray to the Lord continually. There are things that are very frustrating for me to pray for. I remember a time my brother-in-law is New York Jewish. <laughs> he doesn't have one thought about God, and it's very frustrating dealing with him now that the love of the family has been a ministry to him over a period of time. But it's very frustrating dealing with his, uh, his rejection of God when there are a number of family members that know the Lord, have a sweet relationship with the Lord. I, I find it frustrating to, to pray for him. I, I find it frustrating to pray for our government, and to pray for the world. I, I just, I can, you know, Beverly loves to watch the news, and I, it just horrifies me. The news and praying for a nation and praying for the moral direction and, um, and praying for de- desperate problems, sometimes desperate problems in the world. I have to be reminded, I've got to pray. I can't, I can't just be frustrated and run out of the room. I've got to pray. And um, that, so that's a reminder for me. I, I'm, not, I'm not encouraged about things I see in the world or things I see in the government. And that's a, that's a frontier where I need to get, have more of a strategy. It's easier for me to have a strategy praying for grandchildren and family members. But So that's frustrating for me. So, someone have a comment on that? Yeah, we watch the news all the time. And I understand. I get, I get so emotional. My husband doesn't like it, but he's, you know, he's, he's He can take it. Uh, yeah. But I, yeah. Just, you know, I know. But we pray about it. Beth can take it. I can't take it. I just that it's too too yes. distressing to me. Yes. Um, yes. So anyway, <laughs> let, let let me go on. Let's see. Um, the section starting in verse eleven is Jesus is like uh, Melchizedek, and we start pulling out all of these lessons about Christ, all of these wonderful truths about Christ. Um, <clears throat> notice verse eleven. Now, if perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, uh, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Now, notice that word, perfection. Now, if perfection had been attainable, um, what was the perfection that was not accomplished in the Old Testament priesthood? What was the uh, what was the catch? What failed in the Old Testament system? Just the Old Testament covering of sin through Christ's forgiveness of sin. Yeah, that, and that was part of the plan. That was the provision. There was a covering for sin. What about the whole system of the Old Testament uh, priesthood? What what failed? Yes, go ahead. Well, the uh, law was written on tables of stone, but it wasn't written on their hearts, and so they couldn't fulfill the law. And the priests themselves, being sinners, had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could even represent the rest of the people before God. Yeah. Good, good. Anybody else? What was the problem with the priesthood um, in in fulfilling, uh, coming to perfection? I I certainly think of uh, Aaron, the priest, uh, at the golden calf, you know, putting the golden calf in there. You know, and his saying, and here he was. He was the priest that was supposed to represent the people before God in pure worship. And he's saying, "Give me your golden jewelry," and he melted down for a calf. 
and this false worship is just just horrible. I mean, it's it's like I didn't understand why he did it, you know. Really. Yeah. And, and it's like the idolatry that it warns us against in the New Testament. Children, guard yourselves from idols. Uh, because it's so easy for us to have things that displace God in our lives. Yeah. Um, well, and this, the, the perfection was not accomplished. The, the, the law, as good as it was, it, it did not put, put it in the hearts of the people, as you said. I've printed for you Ezekiel 22.30, which is kind of a heartbreaking uh, statement that the Lord made um, that I think we need to think about. I, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Uh, what's, what's going on there? What, what is... The Lord looking for and what's his frustration on this uh, at this passage? It's a tragic statement, isn't it? You know, the Lord's looking for someone to stand between, to stand in the gap, to be a proclaimer of righteousness, to be a prayer warrior, to stand for him. And we know that all the prophets had a hard go, didn't they? Uh, for, for most of them. It was very, very hard. Uh, they were opposed. Um, you know, I think of Jeremiah down in the well. I, I think when I was in Israel, I think they, they found a well that they thought maybe Jeremiah was down in. It was uh, <coughs> the opposition. Um, and, and the Lord's looking for someone to stand in the gap on behalf of the land. Has that changed? Okay. Why not? How, how is it the same today? I think, you know, as a royal priesthood, we are commissioned to, uh, to do that. And, you know, and to the extent that we don't fulfill that obligation, um, you know, our country will suffer. Yeah, I, I think... That, yeah, go ahead. I don't think it's the same because we do have a mediator. We have Jesus Christ. We do. Yeah. He stands in the gap. He stands for us, that's right. He stands in the gap. There's no failure in his ministry. <laughs> that's true. But, but I think he also asks us to stand in the gap. I, I think there are opportunities that we have. You know, I think of your ministry to BBC children, you know, that you had... And, you know, trying to lead them to faith in Christ and lead them to a long life of uh, glorifying God. Um, that you were standing in the gap, working, working for them. Good. Any other thoughts? What, is, is the Lord calling us to stand in the gap? Well, in Ezekiel's case, uh, the Lord says the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people have all violated the law. There is nobody in the land who is that he can find? Whereas that's the difference with us today. Our land is also violating the law of God day by day, moment by moment. But there are believers here and there. You know, we are interceding. Yes, and, uh, that that makes somewhat of a difference. That keeps the evil back. Yes, yes. 
I'm getting a story of uh, Sophie Scholl, who was in uh, Nazi Germany, and uh, her father was already in prison. And she and her brother, one of the things that horrified them was uh, Hitler's slaughter of Jews. They, they observed and saw Hitler's slaughter of the Jews. And it, it had to do with other parts of the population also, but she saw the slaughter of Jews, and her brother did. And in the university, they wrote... Um, Exposés and that they, they opposed to it. They stood against uh, this slaughter of the Jews, Sophie Scholl. And uh, as you can imagine, they treated her well. They beheaded her, which is what they did. They beheaded she and her brother. But, but some of the statements she made were very interesting. She said, People are just content to get by, to survive, to make it, to say whatever is, is uh, convenient for their own comfort, for their own survival. Um, they, they just want everything to be nice and go past and not to stand up for the truth and to stand up for what, for principles of right and good. And she said, I, I will not do that. She said, if my life ignites a fire of tens of thousands of people that stand up for truth, then I'm willing to do that. And she did. She and her brother, they went to the guillotine. Uh, you know, you thought that was back in the old yeah. eras, but they, they beheaded both she and her brother. But uh, she's talking about standing in the gap. She's talking about who, who will stand up for the truth. And I think we're faced with that. Um, our biggest challenge in coming here was a, uh, a relative who's uh, a lesbian and uh, is, uh, you know, has been through a ceremony with her transgender spouse, former man, now a woman. Uh, and, uh, so this was a big challenge because I was getting pressure from a family member to accept them and to say everything is okay and to go to the wedding ceremony and every, everything's okay. Uh, so I'm getting this pressure uh, from this family member that's part of a, a liberal uh, tradition. And uh, so when we got here, uh, we got together with these uh, folks, and boy, she confronted my wife right away. <laughs> what do you think of us? And she did it to me a few months ago. What do you think of us? Uh, because she, she's a kind of a confronter type person. Very, very nice person. I've always had a great relationship with her. But she's a confronter uh, and uh, a very straightforward. She wants to know where the facts are. She, does, she doesn't want anything hidden. And so I had to tell her, I'm committed to biblical values, and I'm committed to God's plan for uh, what he says about man and woman and marriage. And uh, so we continue to have, I mean, you may not understand this, but um, at least with her, a very sweet, good relationship, because she knows where we stand. Now, that's, that's what she has chosen to do. She, there, there are others that would not let that rest. They would not rest there. They, they would, it's got to be... You've got to continue to contend and fight. But uh, she called me and she said, uh, at my Unitarian church, we're having a discussion on the end of life. And uh, would you be willing to participate? We're, we're getting a broad variety of people from all different strata. Most of them were from her church, the Unitarian church. And uh, would you be willing to come and participate? I said, yep, I would. <laughs> it's an opportunity, but but it's a stand in the gap opportunity 
it, it's not necessarily an easy opportunity, it's a stand in the gap opportunity. And so I prepared for it, I got their materials, I discovered that this organization already had materials written up, older materials, but I, I kind of knew where they were going and they ended up with the same points of uh, discussion. So it was an opportunity and uh, I had a chance to speak up for some aspects of, uh, of truth. Uh, I was very thankful for a Catholic priest from the university, Father Juan was there. Interesting how he began. He began the end of life discussion. He said, well now where in this discussion is abortion going to come up? Where millions of babies are being aborted. What, where, where does quality of life come up in this discussion? So he stated that right from the beginning. And then when I affirmed values of life, Pastor Ron was over there amening. I realized he was not a Baptist, but he was, <laughs> he was chiming in on those values. But um, So I, I think we have an opportunity to stand in the gap. Um, each of us in our own way, what God calls us to do. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I think each of us have to, you know, it ties into courage, doesn't it? We're living with courage. That's, a, that's an opportunity. Well, let's uh, think about uh, some of the conclusions here. Um, uh, the Father's call on the Son of God, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now that's the Father's call upon the Son of God, that's the Father calling the Lord Jesus to be our high priest, priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, why was the order changed? I mean, isn't the order from Levi? Isn't that the priestly order? Um, why doesn't Jesus come from the order of Levi? Uh, why aren't things ordered like they were supposed to be from the Old Testament? Well, one of the problems of the Levitical priesthood was that uh, it always died and you had to have somebody else step in. There are laws in the, uh, you know, in Leviticus that if you, if something happens and you kill somebody or whatever, you run to the city of refuge. You have to stay there until the high priest dies, and then you're free to go. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we needed a high priest who didn't die. We needed one who would always be there. Yeah. And so it was, it was a shortcoming of the Levitical. Yeah, and they, you know, and like standing in the gap, you know, you, you gave the list of the four officials of Israel, and none of them, none of them were faithful. And so the Father has chosen to give a different order of priesthood to Christ. Now, when you look at Psalm 110, it's a Davidic psalm. Um, I think, because it's a Davidic psalm, that David was given that promise also. But that's just my viewpoint. Uh, that uh, David was also a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Do you remember that David was seen with the linen ephod on, like a priest? Um, so that, but that's just my viewpoint. That, that David was also a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and then because it's a messianic psalm, it's passed on to uh, passed on to Christ. In seven fifteen, it talks about another priest. Um, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. Another priest. And that's the Greek word for another of a different kind. 
This is a faithful high priest, um, a forever high priest. This is the Lord Jesus. Uh, we see that the basis for Christ's priesthood was in the call of the Father. Um, we've looked at the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. I've got Romans 7.12. says the law was holy, righteous, and good. But Hebrews 7.18 says regulations concerning the priesthood were weak and useless. Now the phrase in verse 19 is interesting because it explains, it says... In verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. It, it didn't make the priests perfect. It didn't make the people perfect. Um, so it just did not, it, it did not do that. Now, in verse 19, following on that, uh, that thought, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A better hope. Christ is the better hope. Through which we draw near to God. Uh, what's the significance of that expression? Of drawing near to God. Is that a central expression to... The whole concept of access to God was foreign to the old Jewish system. Mm. You got that veil in the temple and, uh... But it's, this is one of the most precious truths to us. This is our great treasure, to enter into relationship with God, to the fact that the Lord allows us in, and to, to cultivate that relationship. Um, what, what are the challenges to drawing near to God in your daily life? Why is it difficult? Is it difficult? What do you use to foster drawing near to God? Um, what harms that attempt to draw near to God? I, I think it's an ongoing battle. I think it's an ongoing battle. Uh, a pastor that I know, and it's one of the, I think one of the finest pastors I've ever met, he described to me his, uh, his struggle in in prayer, that he just cannot pray. It's just, I think just busyness and the jam of life drives out prayer. It's hard. It's a struggle for him to pray. I was, I was um, very surprised. But this is our great treasure, is our relationship with him. It needs to be fostered. It needs to be tended. You need to have those regular things that you do to foster that relationship. One of the things that I enjoy doing is the very first thing in the morning when I get to my cup of coffee is being in the Word and studying. And currently I'm writing a, doing a chart of James, the, the book of James, which is just full of practical wisdom. Um, but our relationship with God, drawing near to God. One of the things that's encouraging in this last half of chapter 7 is all of the wonderful expressions about Christ, our high priest. We're just reminded over and over again of, and I ask you the very last statement, what is Christ's high priestly, what in Christ's high, high priestly ministry draws you to worship him? What is it in his high priestly ministry that just draws you to worship him? You just, you, you just have to praise him because uh, he's ministering for you. He's your priest. He's representing you. Uh, but there's just so much in these terms. Um, 
the expression about the frustration with fire we studied about Melchizedek, this old guy in the past, it points to Christ. That's exactly what it is. And these, these terms in the last half of uh, chapter 7 point us to Christ. Well, let me pray for us, and then you'll be off for your uh, coffee. Father, we thank you for uh, our great high priest. And Lord, we, we thank you that he has ministered to draw us near to himself. Lord, that is a struggle every, every day, struggling for time, struggling for our minds to place them upon you. But we rejoice, Lord, uh, that he is our great high priest. He stands in the gap. Lord, work in us to be people of courage and people that stand in the gap for others that need the Savior. In Jesus' name.